welcome to the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. Now, last time I did say that I was going to do a bonus episode whenever the junior doctor's case came through, and so now that the High Court have actually made a decision, I am able to go through that with you in full and take a look at the judge's decision in the end. The full name of this case is The Crown on the Application of Justice for Health Limited and the Secretary of State for Health. The citation for this case is 2016 EWHC 2338 Admin. So I guess the core idea around this case is the idea of a seven-day NHS, which was a key Conservative Party manifesto policy that they developed prior to the last general election in 2015. And it's around some studies and some evidence that suggests that If you're admitted to hospital on either a Saturday or a Sunday, then you're either 11 or 16% respectively more likely to die than if you were admitted to hospital on a Wednesday. And there's a number of reasons for this. You're perhaps less likely to go to the hospital at a weekend unless you were very seriously ill. But most people agree that um, because doctors tend to work the same hours and the same days that most other people do, i.e. Monday to Friday with the weekend off, this means that there is less provision within the health service for treating people at the weekend. Now, I think most people would agree that having a health service that operates seven days a week is obviously essential, and it's really important that whatever day you go into hospital, you're able to get sufficient treatment and um, a good quality level of treatment as well. But there's disagreements about how much this will actually cost the government to actually implement, and also questions about the way that they're implementing it. So in particular, changing the contracts of junior doctors is part of this wider plan for a seven-day NHS, and so this is why it's so controversial. It doesn't necessarily involve any cuts to junior doctors' pay, but it does change the hours that are considered sociable hours and those hours which are considered unsociable hours. So in particular, changing Saturday to being a day of sociable hours, in theory. Clearly, this is very unpopular with junior doctors, and so we've had these threats of strikes recently, as well as walkouts and other action taken in protest against this contract. And it's this contract that's put forward by the Department of Health, and in particular the lead minister, Jeremy Hunt, that is causing this controversy and is the core foundation of this case. The campaign group Justice for Health was specifically set up to bring a judicial review case against this particular contract and also looking at the way in which the contract was announced. I think it's important though to make clear right from the start to say that this case is not exactly about the merits of the policy of having a seven-day NHS and nor is it a referendum or a review of the particular contract or the terms of the contract. Essentially, it's not for the judges or the courts to get involved with making policy, and so they're not really in a position to do so. Ultimately, it is up to the Department of Health as to how the NHS is ran. However, what the courts can do in a judicial review case is make sure that the Department of Health is exercising its powers in a clear and consistent way, and in particular in a way which is legal and consistent with the powers that they do have under statute law. 
The power that we're really looking at is the power of the Secretary of State, Jeremy Hunt, to impose this contract onto the workers in the NHS. But as well as trying to question the power of the Secretary of State to impose the contract, there are also another couple of arguments put forward by Justice for Health um, that we need to look at before we actually move on to the judgment itself. So the second argument that was put forward was that the way that the policy was announced was so confusing, this was referring to a speech given in Parliament by Jeremy Hunt which announced the policy, this speech was so confusing as to violate the public law principles of transparency and good administration. This comes back to a wider area in constitutional law and public law in general, that if we are going to have laws and policies, then these should be announced clearly so that people can define their conduct by them. If the government announces laws but no one is really sure what they mean, then the question is, are they really laws in the first place? And that is definitely something that the courts can decide upon. The third argument is that there is no causal link between the new contract and the conservative policy of a seven-day NHS. And if we think about it in judicial review terms, then we're looking here at the um, idea of irrationality and we'll refer later to the Wensbury unreasonableness test. So this is a particular legal definition rather than a sort of common sense or man on the street version of irrationality. And there we have the three key arguments put forward by the junior doctors or rather justice for health on behalf of the junior doctors who were protesting against the new contract. And that brings us back to the very first argument that was put forward, so let's see how the courts dealt with it. Does the Secretary of State actually have the power to impose these new contract conditions on the junior doctors? The court's response to this was perhaps a little bit surprising because they basically said that actually the Secretary of State isn't imposing this new contract on the junior doctors himself. Rather, the Secretary of State is actually asking the NHS and the various hospitals to change the terms of contract for their own junior doctors. So the NHS isn't actually compelled to change junior doctors' contracts, but rather they are recommended to by the Secretary of State, even though there isn't any compulsion at this particular stage. This is quite an interesting interpretation and it's something that we'll come back to in discussion at the end. But now let's come on to the second ground, which I'm sure you'll remember is the question of transparency. And they said that although Jeremy Hunt's original statement to Parliament that we talked about earlier was indeed very confusing and not much could be gleaned from it, he did actually take the opportunity to elaborate on this speech at a later stage and did eventually make the policy much clearer. And this all occurred a long time before the contracts actually came into fruition or before the policy was actually due to take place. And so because there was that gap of time where the policy was clear, it was relatively straightforward for the junior doctors to understand their position if they read Jeremy Hunt's comments as a whole. In other words, although that particular policy announcement wasn't very clear, the overall impression given by the Secretary of State was clear enough for the junior doctors to understand their position and therefore satisfied that key public law criteria of transparency and good administration. Finally, that third argument which questions the causal link between the contract and a seven-day NHS is a very interesting policy decision and there are arguments from both sides that would suggest that either the imposition of the contract 
would make a difference and would help to secure that seven-day NHS that we talked about right at the beginning of the podcast. And there are obviously the counter-arguments in terms of the policy that are put forward by the Junior Doctors Campaign Group, which suggests that the policy would not work and would actually be endangering patients, as well as creating unfair working conditions for the junior doctors themselves. However, as I've already mentioned, it's not really for the courts to actually come to this decision on policy. They're only to look at the question of the law, and the particular legal question that we're asking in this instance is whether the decision that was eventually taken by the Secretary of State could be counted as irrational. Ultimately, therefore, the argument that was put forward by the Justice for Health group had to fail because the Secretary of State does actually have a wide degree of discretion in this area, and also there is a body of evidence that does support the Department of Health's position. Although some people might disagree with that particular policy, that doesn't necessarily make it irrational. Remember, the definition for irrationality comes from Lord Diplock in the case of Wensbury, and he defines irrationality as so outrageous in its defiance of logic or of accepted moral standards that no sensible person who had applied his mind to the question could have arrived at it. Now, I'm sure that there are some people among the junior doctors who would certainly like to apply that definition of irrationality to Jeremy Hunt's policy decisions, but realistically the courts were never going to take the view that a policy that was thought out and considered in detail by the Department of Health could be considered irrational or so beyond the realms of logic as to satisfy that Wensbury and reasonableness test. In conclusion then we can clearly see that the Justice for Health group lost the case on all three grounds which you would then think is a good victory for the Department of Health and a sore loss and another setback for the junior doctors in their bid to negotiate this contract in a way that they would deem to be fair. But that's not exactly how it's been reported and the junior doctors have said that this is in some ways a victory for them because the court has confirmed that the Secretary of State, Jeremy Hunt, cannot impose the contract on the junior doctors. As we said right in the, at the start about the first ground of argument that the imposition would be ultra vires or outside of the power of the Secretary of State, they said that instead of imposing the contract, Jeremy Hunt was asking the employers, the NHS, to consider using the contract for the junior doctors with the obvious implication that they would all do so across the NHS as a whole, and therefore that would be how the policy would be implemented. Therefore, even though there wasn't a degree of compulsion in terms of the way that the contract was um, arguably imposed, there was in reality some sense of an imposition by the Department of Health onto junior doctors. The junior doctors, though, in response to this case are now saying that there cannot be an imposition and so that if the NHS hospitals or the local authorities refuse to impose this contract or refuse to apply this change to the terms of employment amongst the junior doctors, then there is no way that the Department of Health could actually step in and use a statutory instrument or secondary legislation to impose the contractual conditions on the junior doctors themselves. I'm not sure, however, whether this is a correct interpretation of the decision by the junior doctors, and this might be a little bit of a rose-tinted glasses case. 
the Department of Health has made it pretty clear that if there isn't a uniform rollout of this new contract amongst junior doctors, then they do plan to impose the contract by way of statutory instrument, and this wouldn't necessarily be illegal in any way. The High Court in this case didn't make a firm declaration that such an imposition would be illegal, they just said that in this particular instance and at this stage of the process, there had been no sense of compulsion or imposition by Jeremy Hunt, and therefore the court was unable to make a decision because they're not going to answer a hypothetical question. They're just going to look at the situation as it is at the moment. In other words, at the moment there is no compulsion or no imposition of this new contract, and therefore that is the basis on which they have to make their decision. If it transpires that there isn't uniform rollout of this contract across the NHS and the Department of Health decide that they do need to make a statutory instrument in order to get this policy through, then that could potentially raise a whole new court case. But I don't think that the current decision that we're looking at today has any particular bearing on how a High Court judge would interpret the vires or the powers exercised within that particular instrument. It does certainly leave open an avenue for the junior doctors, but it's not necessarily to say that that is a wide avenue or one that is necessarily particularly viable. Meanwhile, the other two grounds of review as well don't offer much solace for the junior doctors. The policy was clearly explained in a transparent way, and although they might disagree with that policy, overall, despite that one rambling speech by Jeremy Hunt, the overall aims were explained in a clear and coherent manner. On the final ground, those of you who have perhaps seen my YouTube video on judicial review in the UK will know that irrationality is always a very difficult case to prove in a judicial review case. We mentioned about that definition by Lord Diplock under Wensbury, and we can see that that definition of unreasonable is very strict and very constrained. It would be almost impossible to imagine a situation in relation to the junior doctor's contracts where the Department of Health's criteria would actually satisfy that definition. They would really have to go out of their way to prove that there is a clear and consistent case against this particular policy, which would mean that the ultimate decision to compel the use of the contract would be irrational. So what's next for junior doctors and in particular justice for health in terms of the law? Well, for the time being, it certainly looks like their road to a legal solution is closed off completely. The Secretary of State clearly has the power to implement this policy and will undoubtedly do so across the NHS, although this may be subject to non-legal considerations such as strikes and ongoing negotiations. Ultimately, the best legal hope for junior doctors would be that the policy doesn't get rolled out uniformly across the NHS and there does have to be a statutory instrument which imposes the conditions of the contract on junior doctors. At this point there could be an argument for another judicial review case that questions the power of the Secretary of State to actually impose terms of employment upon its staff. However, unless the lawyers for the junior doctors can find something in the National Health Service Act or another similar piece of legislation that helps out their argument, 
it appears that once again the junior doctors would have to rely on that judicial review ground of irrationality. And unless there is that clear case in terms of the policy arguments that the Secretary of State has acted in an immoral or illogical way in terms of this process, then it seems very unlikely that this would succeed. There would have to be further production of evidence which would perhaps suggest that the policy would create unsafe working conditions, and that might be an argument that is worth putting forward. Alternatively, if this did fail and the policy did get implemented without the consent of the junior doctors, then in my opinion, this would potentially create an interesting case in employment law. Because if someone resigns and perhaps claims constructive dismissal, this would raise a whole branch of new arguments within a different context of the law and it would be interesting to see how the employment tribunal or perhaps later the court of appeal or this case might even get to the uk supreme court how they would react to the idea of unsafe working conditions because if that's something that can actually be proved because of the imposition of the junior doctor's contract at a later stage then this would be interesting evidence for the court to have to examine and if it does turn out that it is creating unfair working conditions, then this would effectively force the Secretary of State's hand to review this policy in the light of potentially receiving thousands upon thousands of constructive dismissal claims and leading to perhaps the resignations of a large amount of people who are currently working as junior doctors in the NHS. Well, that's all from me in this bonus episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. My thanks as ever to bensound.com for producing the music to this podcast. As ever, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or plenty of other podcast apps. And if you do manage to get time to leave a review in iTunes, then that really does help other people to discover the podcast. And it would be greatly appreciated by me as well. Right, I'll be back with a regular episode next Monday. But for now, thanks for listening and bye.